Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Alan Hanbury, president of House of Hanbury Builders, Inc. in Newington, Connecticut. Alan recently retired after 45 years as the owner of a full-service remodeling firm. He's here today to share what he's found to be the most common mistakes remodelers make that are costing you money. And we'll hear what they are in just a minute. You want answers? Put that coffee down. You talking to me? Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Hey there, how are you? Pretty good, how are you? <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, we had our first snow here in Maryland, so that was kind of makes us feel like it's all wintry. Yeah, many, many weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Many, many weeks ago, I forget. Uh, Inside joke. So I'm really excited about our guest today. It's somebody I've known for a long time. He's a, 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 what do you call, what's the term? I keep thinking a stellar, foundational person in the industry. Mark-like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just an important person in the industry. So I'm really excited to have him here today. And we're going to talk about uh, what, all the things he learned, all the things he's been teaching. Yeah, it's going to be great. Stuff. Excited. So shall we go? Totally. Let's do it. Today, I'm delighted to have with me Alan Hanbury. Alan has been instrumental in, in so many aspects of the industry for many, many years. He and his brother, Bob, were, were been involved in NAHB and the Remodelers Council, written articles, taught thousands of remodelers more about running their business, and I'm just really delighted to have him here with us. So welcome, Alan. Thank you. So congratulations on being inducted to the Housing Hall of Fame recently. I saw that article come out. That's very cool and and very well deserved. It's kind of nice when they give it to you before you're dead. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And you're far from dead. You got a lot of life left in you, don't you, Alan? I'm hoping so. Even with, even though you just retired, so that was that a hard, hard decision to make to stop working actively uh, in a company. Yeah, you got to be kidding me! You spend 55 hours of your of your life every week for 40 years. My brother Bob retired four years ago, and I, I had considered it. I had I had back surgery, so I was oh. not sure of how it was going to turn out. But I didn't want to leave on those terms, so I, I, you know, I sort of ran a practice for the last. Three and a half years. Okay. Well, hey, nothing so wrong with that. It wasn't so hard. Yeah, it wasn't so hard to, to back out entirely, but I still get calls from past clients, and I'm, I'm still probably going to do a couple odds. I'm not, I haven't sold the truck or the tools. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be the last thing to go. Yeah, I cut that last <laughs> Always leave your options open. All right. Exactly. So over the years, again, not only have you been running your own business, but you have taught so many, and I know as a, as a presenter also, you learn so much from the people that you're talking with. And, and learning about their problems and challenges and so on. So I know you've picked up a ton of knowledge. And I want to talk to you about some of the, the top mistakes that you see and have seen remodelers make over the years. What would you say is one of the, the first areas of mistake? You know, it's it's funny how most of the folks that are in our business come up from the, from the, from the, basically the floor, so to speak. They're, they're carpenters or... Uh, you know, they decide their boss is an idiot so that, you know, they, they've been trained by this idiot, by the way, <laughs> and they start their own businesses. And what they fail to understand is that paperwork, the bane of, you know, why they probably hated, you know, part of the job that they had with their boss is now something that they're in charge of. 
And job costing is is sort of the uh, the, the the reality check of one of our lines. Mm -hmm. If you don't literally go back and look to see if you made money or if you chose the right product for the right client or the you know, any of those number of the things, you, you're basically practicing insanity. You're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting some sort of different outcomes. And, and by not doing job costing and doing it right, um, they're they're not able to change jobs midstream. How do you mean? Well, if you have a job costing system, they, they, it's running on the accrual system. Cash basis is only good for paying taxes, as you're well aware. Right. Um, we, we now know how fast costs are coming in. And if they're coming in faster than our estimate said it was supposed to come in, we've got a problem. We can find it out literally every Friday. I would look at reports and tell the leads that, hey, listen, by the way, you're over on hours, but you're under on costs because you were able to use Dennis instead of Bob as your helper. So we you can you save money by choosing, right? Who's going to be... Uh, in that crew. Uh, but if you didn't know that and you put Bob and Dave on that job and we're cranking out at 70 bucks an hour each for actual burden cost, what happens to that job? It goes south faster. So by job costing in a timely fashion, accrual based, we have an opportunity to save things or we can uh, maybe boost the cost to a change order fee to something more appropriate to the pain that they've provided you. During <laughs> that, right? I mean, it's I call it the great equalizer. Change orders are the great equalizer. So by not embracing doing good estimates and then tying them into good job costing, they've given up a huge opportunity to correct estimating systems. Choose the right lead carpenter for that particular type of job. Maybe not do that particular type of job ever again. Right. It also helps us figure out bad clients or, or people that well, maybe not be a good fit for us. That you can never make money working for this type of person. Right now, you are <laughs> you are really known as a numbers guy, right? You get it, and I love numbers too. And just being able to watch that data and make changes and modifications to improve the performance. So, job costing is something that people that some people are not doing on a regular basis. Could you give us two or three or four tips on how to? do job costing, as you said, in a timely manner, efficiently, effectively. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is you actually want to embrace getting bills as soon as you can. I mean, a lot of people out there on the cash basis, they don't know what their costs are because they're afraid to put that number into their system because it means they actually have to cut a check. So obviously you, if your, if your accounting system allows you to cash and accrual at the same time, like QuickBooks does stay in the accrual side, get the bills in as quickly as you can figure out if you're making money quicker or losing money quicker or, if you if that if you have to make some sort of you know on the fly changes, um, the estimate has to be done in the same detail as the job costs. So when you're setting up your original job costing system, make sure it has enough entry levels to pick up all the stuff that would be in your estimate. Because if you're not appling to appling, you're really never going to be able to forensically come back and see what what caused the problem. What about reviewing that? Like you talked about every week you would you would pull up those reports. What would you see in that report? Was it a QuickBooks report? And what would you do with that then? Okay, I don't use QuickBooks. I've used the same computer system for my business since 1989, all the permutations that have come out. But it does allow you to uh, convert things to percent complete. And that's a whole different conversation. Part. Right. But it did allow me to put in what I knew was going to be cost that had been committed but not paid yet. Mm-hmm. And I could also guess how much, you know, extra labor I'd have to put in and also allow me to enter in change orders, allowance, uh, 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 plus and minuses and stuff so that we were constantly knowing what our uh, estimating should be at that very moment. Uh -huh. The people that don't, are not doing that are obviously 
losing out. So every Friday we would come back in, we would we would see how much uh, payroll was done on Friday mornings. All the AP bills would come in. By Thursday night, I would look over each and every one, make sure they were costed so they would show up in the job cost report in the proper place. Because mm-hmm. again, that'll garbage in, garbage out. And then on Friday afternoon, we go back and look to see where the where the variances might be. And they might have been in labor hours, but not in labor dollars. I'm okay with that. Yep. Because we've now chosen to use a different mix of people that cost less, but take a little longer to do stuff. No big deal. As long as the client's happy. That's okay. right. And so by four o'clock or four thirty, when the people are coming back to the office to pick up their checks, I now have a little, you know, interim report as to where they stand. Okay, you're over on labor. It looks like the sub prices are coming in okay. If, if, there, if there are no changes, the scopes were correct, you're fine. So, you know, maybe confirm with the with the sub that the scope is exactly what they expected and that's exactly what there's included in their price. And you can pretty much sleep the weekend pretty well. All right. Then there's a little bit of work to do. Maybe you change the sub. Maybe you literally change the subcontractor for next week's jobs. Ah. But try to catch up. Right. Okay, good. You know, I believe that too. That so, so many people don't want to, look at these reports because I think they don't want to know. But right, if you don't exactly. know, how do you fix it? You can't kid the kidder. Like if the man in the mirror, that's, a, that's where the, well, I'm a man. If I was a woman, I'd say the woman in the mirror. It, <laughs> it's literally, it's oftentimes it's our own fault. I mean, right. we're our worst enemies. Head trash, unbelievable. Yep. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, labor shortage, which is such a thing right now. I mean, business seems to be, for so many of our members, just you know, booming, breaking, breaking through records. But labor's an issue. So talk a little bit about that. Who to hire when or if? Well, here's here's the deal that most people don't let their people work overtime. Mm-hmm. They say it costs too much. It's 50%, blah, blah, blah. Is it really 50%? No, of course not. You know why? Because the only part that goes on is your workers' comp cost. No, no. Only your FICA, only your actual labor, and maybe a couple other things. Everything else, health, vacation, holiday, those things all stay the same. If you've got a good perk package, for instance, our company back in the day, our average perk package was 89 cents on a dollar. So 50 cents on a dollar, that is no big deal. That's actually less yes. than the 89 cents an hour. So we would we would try to get people to work up to eight or 10 hours of overtime to make up for these you know, sort of squashes in our schedule where we were behind. You can't do that for a whole year necessarily because people burn out, they, you know, they right. miss their time. But for small, short periods, it's very easy to get almost a whole employee by having five people work 10 hours of overtime. Wow. Boom, you got an extra employee. Yep. Hire somebody. What do you got going on? You got you got looking through the paper, you know, taking referrals from If you're not working now, are you really somebody you want to hire? Think about yeah, that. Right. Oh, no kidding. It almost would be as good as going down to Home Depot and picking somebody up in the parking lot. Yeah. So hiring is expensive because you got training, you got a new vehicle, maybe you might have a laptop, you certainly have phone issues, you got communications, all that kind of stuff. And there's the onboarding. Yeah. Thinking about it from my own standpoint, if I were to onboard someone to be a salesperson, which is usually the first thing people hire, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. All right. And, and now I've got to spend 75% of my time for the first couple of months letting them know, you know, what our pricing structure is, how, what our clients' expectations are, what the culture of the company has been, and we want to maintain, you know, we don't. You don't work for less than this margin and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So there's a learning curve. There's the, the lack of production from the owner. Right. It all adds up to, you know, maybe cost twice as much as the person you hired. Now, here's the problem with like hiring a salesperson. If I were to try to hire a salesperson, I would know they should sell maybe a million five. Right. That's how much I could sell, but that's all I did. Yes. Okay. So let's say he sells a million five. I should be happy, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? I'm not. Because if I sell a million five, what do I have to do? I have to find five more carpenters to install it. 
$1,500 a carpenter. I need to find five people just to hire one. Wow, now I've got a real problem. So if you have to, if you have to start thinking about the unintended consequences of being successful mm-hmm. in a market where there's not enough people to let that happen. I see. I think mm-hmm. the, the supply chain, if I try to do a million dollars today, and then I want to do another, an extra 500,000, even from, from, for this next year, between the supply chain issues, waiting six and eight weeks for windows and three months for signing. Are you kidding me? That would throw us so many schedules and we'd make so little money that we wouldn't die from starvation. We would die from indigestion. Hey folks, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've likely heard me refer to our Roundtables Peer Group Program. We've had a bunch of our members on the podcast in the past and I always try to give them a shout out. Now, if you're not familiar with Roundtables, it is the industry's largest peer group program and we've been hosting them and the peer groups for over 30 years. We bring together groups of 10 to 12 business owners from non-competing markets to share strategies, to share experiences, to help one another build action plans to drive the results of each of these companies forward in a way that I've never seen before. We know that you can be successful on your own, but by working with roundtables and a group of your motivated peers, you can cut your progress time in half. There's just nothing like it. Why be alone? Why figure this stuff out all by yourself when you can figure it out with a group of people who know exactly how your business works, what your challenges are, and will share how they overcame each of these. We'd love to have you join us. If you want to learn more about this, visit our website at remodelersadvantage.com or talk to Steve Wheeler at steve at remodelersadvantage.com and he can give you more information about the program. Seats are limited because they have to be non-competing markets. So call today and get to be part of this incredible community of generous, smart, savvy, motivated remodeling company owners. So in a different market, when labor was not as tight as it is now, your perspective would change pretty dramatically, I would think. Oh, absolutely. But you still need to figure out how much that person could produce if they were like a production manager or how much that person could sell if they Mm -hmm. end up being your salesperson. Mm -hmm. And by having a good uh, job costing system, you can actually turn uh, everyone filling out a time card. You know exactly how long you've been spending on the estimate, the design portion of it, the sales calls, the contract writing. So you can literally have five or six job cost, cost cost codes for what you do now so that you know exactly how much time your hire should be taking to do that if they were as efficient as you are. Same thing for production managers, for, for supervising, for pulling permits, for you know going through company, uh, the punch list uh, timing, all and warranty issues, all those things you could actually have as human records. So knowing that when you hire the next person, they'll have a full-time job. Now, a lot of people don't do time cards for um, people who are salaried uh, production really? managers often. You recommend having them keep time cards as well. I started my business in March of 1976 on the 6th, starting on the 15th of March. And ever since I've always filled out a time card. Everyone in our firm fills out a time card, always has. I have records going back uh, until 1991 on my computer right now. So I can go back and look how long it takes to do sales, how long it takes to do production. How much time I've spent at NEHB. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Good for you. That's awesome. Now talk to me a little bit. You mentioned referrals. Why are they such an important part of of a successful remodeling company? Well, they are and they aren't. How do you mean? Well, let's think about this. Uh, let's say you've uh, decided to start your own business in this, this really red hot market like right now. So yes. let's say you built a deck for your neighbor and the deck thinks you did a fabulous job. So what are they gonna do? They're gonna refer you 
to their friends who want to do what? A kitchen? No, deck. <laughs> right. So do you want to be a deck builder when you grow up? I mean, you know, some of us do, but maybe you, you really think you're a good designer. You want to do kitchens. Does that referral chain that started with your first job give you any value toward your long-term plans or even your short-term plans? Probably not. But you're, you're allowing someone else to steer the ship. Mm-hmm. You're a referral base. Now, what happens when referrals, when the, when the market cools, what's the first thing that stops coming in? Referrals. Because people aren't asking their friends, oh, who did your work? They're not doing any work. That's right. Everything's going down. So the things that shuts off the quickest is referrals. Are they valuable? Absolutely. Uh, there was a replay of an article that Sal Alfano had done about 10 years ago. I just got it in the mail last night. And I'd already, I thought, of course, yesterday they had a whole section on referrals and why they're so good or why they're so bad. Let me just go through a couple of things that I expressed in that class yesterday on, on the referrals. Should you allow them to direct your company's success? Should they be choosing your product niche for you? Uh, do they all, always provide an ideal customer? I, I had a client once that had a, a, a 10, 10 names on her uh, speed dial. I was using the phone to call a supplier because uh, they weren't there. The truck hadn't come yet. And I'm looking at the names. There's nine people I recognize as clients I've actually worked for. Oh, wow. So I asked them about Ruthie and I go, Ruthie, and I, I have a little nosy here while I was waiting on the phone. I saw that there's 10 names on here, nine of which I've actually done work for. And I'm pretty sure that you're the reason. Thank you so much. She goes, I said, but, you know, how come not, uh, how come not Nancy? She goes, oh, you don't want to work for her. She's a witch. And I didn't, <laughs> she didn't use the word witch. <laughs> that's, great. Well, that's the kind of reason that referrals are not all that good mm-hmm. unless you have Ruth Ann working for you. Yes. You know, sort of being your qualifier. Uh, and they, you know, they're going to, do they dictate your company's expectations? I mean, there's a lot of refers that give people names that know they're going to give you a hard time. Mm-hmm. Aren't there people out there you never satisfy? Mm-hmm. You bet. Hard, right? mm-hmm. So having a referrer for give you a name means you have to per- pursue it a little bit, but it doesn't mean you should give them any more uh, uh, leeway into what you decide to be your ideal job, your ideal client, your mm-hmm. ideal uh, demographic because you're asking for trouble, mm-hmm. okay. uh, you know, politely call them back and tell them, eh, maybe, you know, but if you're doing more than 60% of your work for referrals, you're not really a business person. You're an order taker. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And we talk about that all the time too. When somebody comes in, like we don't, we do no marketing. We get all of our business through referrals. What would yeah, you so say to that? Like Coke and, why would Coke and Pepsi spend a billion dollars a year in advertising? If, if the last Coke tasted good, you'd buy another one. True. Huh? Somebody's got a, you know, why would, why would Mercedes worry about competing with Kia? But they do. So there's, there's good reason somewhere. Now, if you were going to give one piece of advice right now to remodelers um, that are trying to improve, what would it be? You know, you're probably going to already know the, just understand the math. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Discounting, the math on discounting, the math on on ignoring slippage, that 7% silent partner. Um, a million dollar company that's 70 grand. I, there's a lot of owners out there at a million dollars that don't make 70. No grand. kidding. Mm-hmm. And you've got a silent party you don't care about that takes 70 grand away from you. So the, the, you need to be able to know the, the math in, in the, in, in a, so that you're able to build that cost into the cost of doing business. Right. right. So if you think you need a 30% margin, which is a 43% markup and every year you end up at 23. Okay. That's like another cube of studs, put it in the estimate. Yeah. So then pretend you need 37% margin, mark up 59%, and boom, you end up with 30. Everybody's happy, the client, eh, maybe not so, but you've baked reality into your math. There into you your, go. Into your company's problem. Right. Right. 
Alan, can we, we Alan, can we back up for a second? Earlier, you mentioned how um, people owners want to hire salespeople first, and you said we. I, no, I, I could go on about that. Could you could you touch a little bit on that? You you obviously had some kind of a concern point on that. <laughs> There's a guy by the name of Tom Schwartz. I know that Vicky knows him very well. And he told us, you know, he was in a session at the remodeling show one year and someone asked, you know, what's the best way to, you know, to handle a sales bill? He goes, don't have them. <laughs> you know, he said, I've gone through 25 different pay packages. I, I you know, can never get one that incentivized them to be a mini me, right? So it's very difficult to, to teach someone to have a personality. And, you know, if you've built your business on a particular personality, I'm a little bit facetious, bit of a wise guy. And you get somebody out there that's a stuff shirt, the people are going to say, well, who's this guy? You know, this is not the kind of fun environment I was expecting from the sales process. So it's not always about just, uh, you know, being able to present the numbers and get the right product and stuff in there. It's literally about the, 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 the personality and the, and the, the process of, of the sale process mm-hmm. and, and how you kind of walk people, you know, a lot of people have want to do things like put in orange countertops that it's very difficult to just to politely tell them that's stupid. Um, and so there's skill sets that are outside of the actual, the numbers game. So I, I think that, most people, if, if, if they were to um, say what makes their company different, it's about their sales process, not about their production, not about the carpenter, not about how good they clean stuff up, not that they don't park on people's grass. So if you're going to give away the best part of your company's uh, reputation, if you will, to somebody, a third party you've never met before, not somebody you've baked and, and, and cooked to perfection in your own oven, you're risking your entire business. They can be selling jobs under margin. They can be uh, selling jobs that they're going to leave to go do on their own later on. I can give you 10 scenarios of of why Bob and I never hired and kept a salesperson after the first or second. That's an interesting take. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, well, Alan, I have one last question for you. Are you ready for the lightning round? (laughs) (laughs) And now here's a remodeler's advantage lightning round. It's a trap. All right, let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. What is your favorite business book and why? Well, I actually had two. Uh, I, I like Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. Um, you know, Start With the End in Mind has been something I've lived by ever since I read the book. And the other one is Who Moved My Cheese? Uh, I read it like 20 years ago. And you know, it's even more appropriate now because it really talks about change. And we're in a we're in a situation in the last two or three years, forget COVID, but that makes it even worse, where everything has changed. Literally everything you thought would be correct and, and make you successful and you were the you were the captain of the ship. All those things have, have literally gone out the window. We are groundhog day is what we we've literally been in for, you know, maybe the last nine or ten months now. So I think those kinds of books uh, sort of open your eyes up to, uh, you know, how you should be running your business and, and how you should embrace change. If you hadn't gotten into remodeling and owned a remodeling company, what do you think you'd have been doing? I would have retired 10 years ago and been living on an island someplace. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that uh, I'd be a forensic accountant. Uh, I have a little bit of a nefarious side to me. I can I can honestly think uh, totally uh Illegally, and it, would, it would be a lot easier for a person with my mindset because I, I really like to get into the nuts and bolts of stuff to figure out why how people cheated. Okay. What are you not very good at? Uh, you could ask my wife. There'd be a list. <laughs> I don't like losing. Your room, your desk, or your car? Which would you clean first? So I would do my room. 
How old's the oldest pair of shoes you own? <laughs> I own a pair of Dingo boots from 1979. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still wear them? Uh, my wife won't let me. <laughs> I told I'm you waiting for her to go someplace. No. <laughs> yeah. I guess they made it to your Hall of Fame, huh? <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah. I've, I've had them as long as I've been a member of NEHP. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, um, Alan, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on here and sort of sharing some of your knowledge and the, the stuff you've learned over, you know, through the School of Hard Knocks and all the teachings that you've done over the years. So I really appreciate it. But before I let you go, I want you to share your five words of wisdom with our listening audience and why they resonate with you. I think I wrote uh, aim high because gravity sucks. Yes. Um, it, it, it's one of the, it's, it's about winning. It, if you really want to make it to the, to the end, uh, where you thought you wanted to be, you know, start with the end in mind. Here we go with Kobe. Uh, you need to actually aim high. If you've ever thrown a snowball, I mean, some of us in the East Coast had plenty of chances the last couple of days. Well, or if you're shooting a bow and arrow or something, if you're not aiming higher than the target, there's no way you're ever going to get there. And one of the things I've always laughed about, and I sometimes even bring it up in my sessions is, you know, how many people get up in the morning, walk to the mirror and say, I sure hope to be average today. <laughs> right. I mean, is that the person you want working on your house? So again, if you're not looking at the 25 top percentage of whatever you do for a living or whatever sport you're in, I think you're missing the boat and you're not only missing the boat, but you're, you're missing the opportunity to see how good you really can be. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Wonderful sentiment. Thank you so much, Alan. We appreciate you being here. It's going to be a great episode. And uh, so right now the company is closed. If people want to reach out to you, how would they do that? Uh, They can email me uh, at uh, Alan H at house of Hanbury.com or A-E-H-J-C-G-R at A-L-L, which would get me, uh, get me, get you to me quicker because I look at that all the time. And I do, I'm going to be doing some consulting and certainly continue my teaching and stuff. So I'd love to hear from people. I, this is, this has been my life for, I don't know, since I was actually nine, I got my first set of tools. Yeah. So. Well, wonderful. <laughs> I'm bored. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Alan. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You know, Alan is a really an interesting person in the industry because he's very he is very opinionated, as he says. But he's just been around so much. He's see, and he sees things from a little bit of a different angle than many. I think it's great to. I it, there's nothing worse than just kind of trying to walk that middle of the line, being in the center, trying to keep everyone happy, say the things that aren't going to offend anybody. Not that mm-hmm. he offended anybody, but right. he has opinions about things. You know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily agree 100 percent with the salesperson perspective, but it's a valid argument. And Certainly. It's, it's good to to have an opinion about something and throw it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some people's ears perked up listening to that. Some yep. might have perked down. I don't know if that's a thing, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but those are the kinds of things I think it's great to have these different thoughts and opinions on a show. I mean, he's definitely got some really interesting insights on some different yeah. topics for sure. And the place where he really supports what we think, of, of course, and I think anybody who's a teacher in the industry is know the math, know the formula, know the plan for profit, know how the numbers fit together. Together. Yeah, you know, without that, <laughs> what? No, I just he the the thing he said about average, and it just oh. <laughs> it took me straight to uh, you know, like he said, uh, you know, gee, I woke up and want to be really average today. Mm-hmm. It took me straight to an, an old George Carlin bit. I love George Carlin. He was such a genius. Do you know the average? It was. Uh, let me think if I get it exactly right. He he said because uh, he's frustrated with just how stupid people are. <laughs> right. And he said just. Think about how dumb the average person is. 
and then realize 50% of everyone is dumber than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's good. <laughs> so Funny. anyway, I don't know. It just took me. My mind is weird. Yes, it yes. takes so, different things, trigger different memories. <laughs> um, but no, that was some good stuff. And I got to tell you, I, we should actually ask him if he could take a picture of those shoes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to see the put shoes. Those in the show, in the put, show put them in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> shoe notes. Ah. Alan, ha, shoe notes. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. Alan's shoes. Yes. There you go. So we want to thank Alan for being here and sharing his insights on common mistakes that remodelers make. And of course, we want to thank you for listening week in and week out. I am Mark Harari. And I'm Victoria Downing. See you next week. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the remodeler's guide to business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about roundtables our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.